This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit news for the week of April 26th. As always, Carisha and Nick, both here to summarize the news for us. How's it going, folks? Going good. Excited to be here another week. <laughs> We're just one week at a time. We did it. Another week. All right. Kick us off, Nick. What do we have on our, at a glance, larger summaries of what's going on here? Sure, George. I'll start us off. Our first summary story is a big one. The Supreme Court um, yesterday actually heard a case on donor transparency and fundraising with the potential for broad implications for both traditional nonprofits as well as political organizations. Now, the case centers on a dispute about whether the state of California can mandate that tax-exempt organizations report its top donors to the government. So you might be thinking, wouldn't this reporting be confidential? Would it get out to the public? The answer is yes, most likely, but the case has broad implications about whether the government can and or should track contributions to tax-exempt organizations. Now, the case comes kind of as a uh, a follow-up to Citizens United v. FEC, which is the landmark case from 2010, which allowed the increased flow of quote-unquote dark money into campaign finance. Um, So anyway, an interesting battle shaping up at the Supreme Court about donor transparency and, you know, the potential First Amendment implications. And nonprofits should pay very close attention to this because it could really shape the landscape when it comes to uh, the influence of money in nonprofits and political organizations. You pointed this out too to me earlier is that this isn't like a simple binary issue. There's actually uh, some non-traditional people taking sides um, on, on either side of the fence on this. I'm still unclear sort of where I land on it. I think increased transparency in the nonprofit sector makes sense. I think it makes sense that if you're going to get the tax designation of C3 and essentially not pay taxes on, on revenue in there and you have open... Uh, you know, 990s, that this is part and parcel with understanding where that money is going, especially in the uh, the adage that I repeat often that not all nonprofits are good. So understanding if there are alternative motives, I think can be incredibly important when it comes to the motivations. This butts up against uh, your right of free association uh, as, as an American. Uh, you're like an associate or whatever, that's fine. But that doesn't mean you can do it um, under under cloak and dagger in, in the dark and, and not understand the motives of certain nonprofits, nonprofits that can come up against health initiatives that can come up against many different pieces, right? If you have a nonprofit suddenly being created as though there weren't one already that says smoking ain't so bad brought to you by the people who make a ton of money from smoking. You're like, wait a minute. Is this just an advertising arm of special interest? That's getting tax-free dollars? Well, that's interesting. So I have a lot of thoughts. I don't know, Nick. I think you you spotted, you're like, oh, non-traditional people in here. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It creates a lot of kind of untraditional relationships because the organization actually bringing the suit is a conservative organization, but they found backing from the ACLU. Um, And if you go back historically, the case was initially brought, the current standing decision stems from a case from, I think, the 1950s, in which the NAACP tried to 
um, keep its donor data private for security reasons at the height of you know the civil rights movement. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting forces at play, and it definitely doesn't break down across the traditional you know right left liberal conservative spectrum. So really interesting if uh, you're interested in these kind of freedom of speech, you know, First Amendment right of association issues. Very interesting. We'll probably need to follow up on on what comes as a as a result. Anyway, what else do we have on the on the menu, Nick? All right, this is much more for us digital marketing nerds, and maybe not broad implications for the whole country, but maybe so. Um, MNR, a digital marketing agency that gears towards uh, social impact, um, has released its annual 2020 annual benchmarks report. And the report shows that online revenue for nonprofits increased by 32% in 2020, with most of the increase in revenue benefiting nonprofits that tackle hunger and poverty the most. Um, you know, this is something that lots of other data points have shown as well, but we really recommend that all nonprofits take a look at this report because it shows where the industry is tracking, what the trends are, and maybe something that your organization should be taking advantage of that it's not already. The report also showed that nonprofits are doubling down on digital advertising, increasing investments in digital ads by 33%. Um, so yeah, I would recommend that all nonprofits take a look. I should note that the sample size is definitely on the smaller side. This is not a comprehensive survey of the entire sector, but still really interesting to see how these trends change year over year. Yeah, I think it's at least it's continuity with regard to that sample. You know, it's about 210 so-ish nonprofits that are sampled across these different industries, um, but they are publicly listed. So you can kind of see like, oh, is that an organization kind of like me? But it also tracks against like, yeah, hunger and poverty were major issues. They also pointed out that uh, COVID adjacent messaging really did work and they saw bumps there. They found the average donor size, which I kind of like on this one at $167 across two on average donations, 2.03 is what they say, two, two donations. So what does that mean? Well, maybe you can take that back and say, hey, instead of maybe our $50, should we be bumping up to $75 for your first gift? Is the sort of floor for a first gift a little higher than we may realize? And that can make a big difference spread across. All right, any other thoughts on the MNR? I think we covered it. There's a lot more reading. We may do a special episode on that, but Carisha, why don't you walk us through the summary? Yeah, I can walk us through our summary um, of headlines. The first bullet we have is that we have a 2021 nonprofit 40 under 40. Um, it was delivered by city and state um, in conjunction with their sister publication, New York Nonprofit Media. Um, and it's kind of similar to a Forbes 30 under 30 situation. What they're really doing is highlighting leaders, um, next generation leaders who are really doing a lot of great work uh, in the nonprofit space. Um, and it's a pretty good list from a lot of different organizations. So. Um, you should definitely check it out if you haven't. Yeah, I love celebrating the people that are doing the actual work and making celebrities of them. Why not? <laughs> I love a good celebrity moment. Um, our next headline reads, City Nonprofits Face Financial Catastrophe Due to the Pandemic's Demand. Um, and this is referring to an article from Gothamist that found that uh, a lot of New York City's human service nonprofits um, during the pandemic have filled a lot of different gaps, um, especially as it relates to 
uh, feeding the hungry, getting cash assistance and helping undocumented immigrants. Um, but they're finding that this isn't really sustainable, right? Uh, a new survey from the Center of an Urban Future uh, kind of surveyed these different organizations and found that two dozen of these nonprofits um, are experiencing a yearly budget deficit between 15 and 50%. And these include organizations like the YMCA of Greater New York, which lost more than 100 million in revenue, um, City Meals on Wheels, just to name a few. Um, but I think what it's really exposing is kind of how unsustainable it is for nonprofits to kind of pick up all of this work and these gaps um, where people really need it. Um, so thinking of new ways to continue to support people um, during these times, but I don't think nonprofits can bear the burden of it all. Yeah, it's, you know, the PPP money obviously went out and a lot of nonprofits benefited from that. But if you're talking about like government spending, like, and there's a quote in that article saying like, there's a 54 million that was cut by 20 million in terms of a fund for nonprofits serving the community, right? Like, it's not like you're going to close your door. You're going to continue to serve, but at a certain point, you got to pay your rent, got to pay your staff. And those are, those are fixed. And so while the need is there, they were, they were still working and uh, the city leaned on them and the populations of, you know, certainly densely cities, uh, densely populated cities were relying on human services uh, element, but you know, that, that revenue line item got cut, but they still had to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work to be done. Um, and that needs to be done, right? We can't just drop all of these people who need help. Um, more nonprofit finance news. Our next headline reads, nonprofits gain funding from an unusual source, marijuana sales, um, particularly in the state of California. So over the past two years, California has used some of its fees that it's collected from the sale of recreation mar recreational marijuana to give grants to communities and organizations um, that serve people in communities harmed by the war on drugs. Um, essentially, a lot of people were put in jail for very, very long amounts of time um, for having pretty minuscule amounts um, of drugs on them. There are people from the 80s, 90s who are still in jail today, uh, mostly black and brown people, and will probably be in jail for the near future um, and even later future. So great to see that California is putting some of these, uh, some of the fees that they're collecting from recreational marijuana um, and giving them to the communities that were most, uh, most harmed by it. Um, they give the example of Fathers and Families of San Joaquin, a small nonprofit that serves young people and people who have been through the criminal justice system. Um, and this organization received a $1 million grant in 2019. Um, and the group trains formerly incarcerated people as substance abuse counselors. Um, so great work and great to see that some of these fees and taxes are being put to good use. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is the war on drugs was really an incarceration engine for black and brown people in America. And the, the brutal truth of that, you know, is gonna take a lot of marijuana sales to to restore, if at all. Uh, but on the upside here, we're talking about a $21 billion market last year of marijuana sales, up 46% from the prior year. So those numbers may get large. And I think it would be helpful for a lot of nonprofits, especially in the social justice arena, to be starting that type of campaign of like, every time you make a legal dollar from this, think about the illegal year taken from somebody in prison for a freaking ounce of marijuana for a whatever offense that now you're realizing oh wait a minute it was agenda driven not health driven and now you're making public money from it so we bring this up and hopefully continue to bring it up in a, in a way of maybe arming some of the nonprofit fundraising thinking out there when you're when you're going after uh 
uh, elected officials, government potential spending and, and looking for, for those dollars. Because a lot of times like it's like found money for, for a city, for a community, for uh, municipalities that are like kind of like the lottery, right? Like, oh, it funds education. It goes into the public school system, but that just means they're moving money around. So follow the money. 21 billion was made. Follow the money and keep in mind where maybe that should be allocated because it's not all um, necessarily fair, fairly earned if you look at the, the arc of history with regard to drugs in this country. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's always does a, a really good infographic series on 420 on um, kind of like how 420 is celebrated. You know, it's like marijuana day unofficially, um, but they also call out how many people have been incarcerated um, due to marijuana as well. So if you haven't seen it, you should check it out, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Our last headline in the summary reads fundraising platform Classy snares 118 million in venture funds, um, which is exciting if you use Classy. Um, they're a San Diego-based cloud fundraising software um, that has closed on $118 million in Series B fundraising. Um, almost twice what it was raised in previous rounds combined. Um, so that's a lot of money going into this organization, which will probably and hopefully accelerate some product development, um, double the size of its products um, and engineering over the next two years. Um, so if you're using Classy, keep an eye out for maybe some new tools and tricks that they have up their sleeves. It's a monster. That's a lot of money flowing into like uh, the sector. And like, I love keeping an eye on the nonprofit tech platforms and tools that are uh, out there getting funding, getting interest, because it's indirectly adding, hopefully, features. Yeah. It's adding tools um, and also raising the overall floor of what nonprofits should expect from their software, right? You got to be this tall to ride the ride. You must be this good, this responsible, and this reactive. And 118 is nothing to sneeze at. So I'm very interested to see what's coming from Classy. Yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on it, at least for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> um, one more headline that's not part of our summary, but more a part of our opinions and resources. Um, we do want to do a kind of self-plug here on our mini podcast series that George and I have been doing. Not this one, a different one, um, which is a social policy related mini series talking about homelessness um, in the city of San Francisco. We talk with um, a bunch of thought leaders and experts um, on homelessness um, and the social policy. Um, so if you're interested and want to learn a little bit more, you can check it out on our website the same um, way you can find a lot of our other podcasts. Thanks, Grisha. All right, Nick, feel good story time. All right. This story comes from Richmond, Virginia, and it's a story about four nonprofits that are consolidating their resources and moving in together. Um, so four nonprofits, including communities and schools and the boys and girls clubs of the area, among others, are getting a shared office space in an old warehouse. And I just love this story because I think this is kind of an example of out-of-the-box collaboration in this, in this particular instance, physical collaboration. Um, when the nonprofits are together, um, they can share resources. Um, it creates all sorts of benefits for the employees, allows them to maximize their impact, operate a little bit more efficiently. And it's kind of like a resource sharing venture. And I really like this story because A, it's about <laughs> working in a real office in a real world where we can talk to people face-to-face, uh, -face, but also it really highlights the benefits of collaboration in the sector. And, you know, 
think about how many nonprofits there are doing how many different things in the United States, not to mention the whole other layer of foundations on top of that. And I appreciate stories where nonprofits realize that working together can help them maximize impact. So yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to this uh, cool story coming down from Virginia. Yeah, and I think as a macro trend to dial it back out, the amount of remote work and increased availability of uh, commercial industrial real estate is absolutely increasing as fewer organizations need that office space. Well, wait a minute, it's still built, it's still there. It's still oftentimes in the heart of a city, close to maybe even populations uh, in need. So I think there's some real opportunity to shop around for those types of warehouses, large commercial spaces that are frankly wildly underutilized. And there's ways now potentially of working with these landlords are like, hey, can't help but notice you got a, a whole lot of nobody paying your rent uh, to, to move in with programs, programs that bring people together, programs that employ folks. Uh, so look at this, look at others, like see how nonprofits are taking over these types of unused spaces. And uh, I, I hope to see an increase in this. All right. We did it. Nonprofit news for the week of 426. Go find extra resources uh, at nonprofitnewsfeed.com. And of course, brought to you by good old Whole Whale Digital Agency. Doing what we can to make the world a little better. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 